For 20 years, Bold Futures has worked to build communities where people have what we need to make real decisions about our bodies and lives. We are proudly and boldly led by and for women and people of color in New Mexico. In our body of work, we have created art, messages, and media to shape narratives that matter to New Mexicans and their families. Our podcast, The Heart of New Mexico, our podcast, Heart of New Mexico, is part of that culture shift. This is the fourth episode in our limited five-part series called Bienvenido Sol, where we're exploring religious refusals and the impact of these refusals on New Mexicans. I'm your host, Kat Sanchez. Using your religious beliefs to deny health care and services to others is called religious refusals, but the reality is this isn't new to our state. So far in our podcast series, we've heard from a variety of voices that have been impacted or can see impacts of religious refusals within their community or from the faith perspective. This episode, we explore religious refusals from an indigenous point of view as colonization. The remnants of European colonization and religion brought with it have been felt by indigenous communities for centuries here in New Mexico, and they continue to be felt. Candace Littlefoot is the policy associate specializing in criminal justice reform for Bold Futures. Candace is Diné and previously worked within the tribal legal system. Today we are joined by, and I'm happy to have my colleague with me, Candace Littlefoot. Um, Candace, if you could please introduce yourself for our listeners. Thank you. Yat e she Candace Lofa Yensha, Sanjikanoshol Do Kinsley Chini Bashishin, Tedesh Gishin Dashache Do Tachini Dashanala, Ankot Ego Dines Danishle, Zisle Dan Nasha and Albuquerque, New Mexico, Kesht and Shimasana A Mabel Curly Huliant and Hello, my name is Candace Littlefoot. I am born for the Honeycomb Rock people. I'm born to the Red House people. My maternal grandfather is a rock at people, and my paternal grandfather is a red running into the water people. As such, that's how I identify as a Diné woman. I'm originally from Gray Mountain, Arizona, which is northern Arizona, but I reside here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and my late maternal grandmother, her name was Mabel Curley, and I'd like to introduce myself in that way as an indigenous person, but also giving respect to my grandmother who raised me. and majority of how I live my life and how I make decisions is based off of how she raised me. So I'd like to give her that recognition because, you know, that's where my lineage is from. Thank you so much. And I'm appreciative that you bring your roots to this interview because this interview is incredibly important to make those connections between indigenous people and religious refusals. What was, and since you've already introduced yourself with a Diné background, what was your life like growing up in Navajo Nation? Life growing up on the Navajo Nation was very simple. I was raised by my grandmother and where we lived was, you know, on top of a mountain secluded, you know, hundred of miles away from like the nearest store, from the nearest hospital, the nearest clinic, the nearest gas station. Um, and you know, it was a basic living. My grandmother lived in a traditional hogan and she did not have electricity or running water. It was just very simple. It was living 
in the simple way and it was nice it was really nice um, very rural very separated from you know civilization and from society as a whole and I feel like that really grounded how I was raised and based on um, a rural upbringing you had mentioned being on the mountain with your grandmother um, and other family members how did you come to your cultural values? I came to my cultural values again through my grandmother and through ceremonies. Um, I grew up with a lot of sisters, so I'm, I have five sisters and I'm the youngest. And I have a lot of aunties compared to uncles. When it comes to the Navajo Nation, we are a matrilineal society and everything's dependent on the woman. And the decisions we make affects everybody. And that's how I came to my cultural values. It's being raised in a household of strong women. From my grandmother to my aunties to my older sisters who have sustained themselves for years and knowing I'm coming from a strong lineage of women. And shifting a little bit to what the podcast has been about thus far, in this country, institutions and individuals have rights that allow them to deny care and services and employment and other opportunities um, to other people. And this is just, they, they deny these services, these opportunities based on their own religious beliefs. As a strong woman, as a strong woman raised in the Navajo Nation, how does this make you feel? It's very unsettling and it's quite frankly like upsetting just because there have been these systems that have been influenced by religious beliefs and values, you know, and we see it all across the world, not just here in the United States or even here in New Mexico. And it does definitely like affect different tribal nations, but it's, it's really fucked up in a sense when you think about how other people, how they make decisions just based on their own beliefs, whether it's coming from like a Christian or a Catholic belief and they're making you know, these decisions that affect families when it comes to employment, right? To provide for your family, um, to sustain your family, um, even when it comes to healthcare, right? Um, indigenous people are provided healthcare through Indian Health Services, and that's their primary healthcare provider, or is supposed to be, in theory, our main healthcare provider due to treaty obligations with the United States. And of course, there was like certain cultural costs to it, right? Like genocide, assimilation, termination, forced sterilization. You know, those are perfect examples of how, you know, we traded what we had prior to colonization for mediocre healthcare that doesn't provide certain stuff. And then the healthcare is also, you know, barred with certain stuff that we have a right to as women, um, which includes like contraception and like abortion services even family planning options. That's a big deal, especially being an indigenous woman with a big family, not only in siblings wise, but you know, with my aunties and uncles on my maternal side, but like my paternal grandmother, she had 13 kids. And so, you know, so family planning is a huge deal for indigenous people, whether it's deciding to parent or not parent, and then the lack of healthcare that were provided from the United States. So the reality is 
New Mexico being a very rural state, there are people who are living in areas where they don't have, you know, in terms of proximity, healthcare services available. But for the indigenous populations here in specific to New Mexico, but, you know, across the country, you may be living in a rural area where, again, proximity is an issue, but layered on top of that is this history of the service that is provided in general, which is limiting by the government. Yes. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, people have to travel a lot of ways that not a lot of people can afford to travel. It's a long ways. <laughs> it's just not like, oh, it's like a 10-minute drive. No, it's like a two-hour drive, three-hour drive, one way, and that's a six-hour drive altogether, and like that's almost a whole day. And then you take into consideration waiting at the clinic, and you, you know, there's all these different um, things you have to think about. And if they have kids and like money for food, like if they're going to be here all day, like, so it's just multiple barriers when it comes to Indian health services, and especially living in a rural state. So let's get into the realities and, and really what the meat is with regards to Indian healthcare services and how it's tied into religious refusals. So what we are calling now this discrimination of religious refusals, right, where someone uses their faith to say no to providing a certain kind of health care, whether it's contraception at a pharmacy or what have you. We have called this religious refusals recently, but how does this resonate with you as an indigenous person and given indigeneity's history? So that's a great question because you use the term religious refusal and, you know, this has been happening, you know, since 1492 and prior, right? Not only in you know north america but in like different different parts of the world right and so this has been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years um and you know it's something that indigenous people have been facing since the onset of colonialism and it's it's affected like not only like the healthcare aspect but in every single way in our lives that has impacted whether, you know, healthcare and then alcoholism because of colonialism, um, assimilation, genocide. So it's always been there and it's always been this conquest, right? Because of religion, you know, the manifest destiny, you know, trying to claim land, trying to claim resources based on religion. And it's always been, it's always been there. It's nothing new. It's always been here. So this is not new to indigenous people across not just the U.S., but across the world. So now that we are naming it, and it's a, it's, it's a movement to stop, how does that make you feel that, that we're barely catching up to this? It's, it's kind of fucked up when you think about it, because like tribes are suffering so much across the board, um, indigenous peoples from Canada to South America and Australia, New Zealand, like it's pretty fucked up because like we've gone through a shitload of stuff because of the government. We've gone through, you know, there's a lot of tribes that are losing culture, like our culture, our traditions, our language just because of this. And not to only that extent, but like our basic rights. We're losing, we're losing our basic rights. I want to say at a faster rate considered, you know, more than any other population. And when you think about it, even the right to vote, like Native Americans recently, you know, had the right to vote like 50 years ago, right? And like, that's fucked up. We were like the first people here and on the, in the United States. And like, 
50 years ago, we were barely able to like vote or to be able to have citizenship as a, an American. So we've laid out for listeners that this is an ongoing issue for aspects of our population, and we are barely catching up to and recognizing and validating what's been going on to our indigenous populations in recent history, trying to go through the court system with religious refusals, and in most recent memory, the the cake shop in um, in Colorado. Can you give us some some specific examples or some ways that the U.S. government has imposed their Western beliefs over reproductive decisions of indigenous women and people? Sure. So when I think of reproductive decisions and indigenous people, I automatically go back to Indian Health Services because, again, they're supposed to be the main healthcare provider to federally recognized members. Through IHS, there's a, a lot of barriers. Um, one of them is the Hyde Amendment, which is basically um, it bars the use of federal monies for the use of abortion services and Indian health services. There's only three exceptions, which is if the fetus is conceived in rape or incest, or if the fetus is puts the mother's health at risk. Those are the only circumstances where a woman, indigenous woman who goes to IHS can access abortion services. And with that being said, it's not, you know, we see that sometimes that's not always the case where they're even providing that services, even under those circumstances. Um, and, you know, and that was passed by a representative, um, Hyde, who was Catholic, and it was in response to Roe versus Wade. And it just shows how, just based on how he was raised and his religion, how he's able to have that type of legislation even though he doesn't understand, I don't know, maybe he did, the repercussions that would have on indigenous people. That's an example of how Western beliefs govern reproductive decisions. That should be indigenous women's decisions, not, you know, not a piece of legal paper that says like, oh, well, you can't get an abortion because I said so, because I believe in this. Another example is, um, again, through Indian Health Services, and it was for sterilization in the 60s and the 70s where the United States used these Indian health services to force forcibly sterilize indigenous women through you know, the concept of eugenics, right? Trying to erase a whole generation just because maybe they didn't want them producing or, but at the same time, like they're trying to regulate bodies of indigenous women. That's exactly what it is from the 60s to the 70s, barring them from having children, to now where they're, restric they're restricting access to get abortion. So it's, you know, this game that the United States is constantly playing with indigenous women and people who may or may not want to have kids. And it's just taking the decisions away from indigenous women. I appreciate you you being specific and giving us examples um, and have been learning so much from you is just the simplicity of autonomy for a person that we take for granted in in everyday life has never been, continues to never be for our indigenous populations. And people going through everyday life don't notice that. They don't see it. I like that you bring that up because federally recognized enroll members, um, that's true for us, right? Because we're regulated like Amer 
quote, you know, air quote, American Indians were regulated by the United States government. And how we get services or benefits is not always tribally, but it's through the federal government. So in order to change things, like we have to do it at a federal level. You know, I appreciate New Mexico having, you know, the ability to use, you know, state money for Medicaid in order to have certain services, specifically abortion services. You know, it's harder for American Indians to be able to get any, you know, to change anything because it's a federal level. And people who are at the federal level, who are they? They're generally like white men, right? White men who are, who have their own religious beliefs on what they think is right for indigenous people, which they have always done. And we have to remember, it's not an easy thing to change. It's not something that can be changed overnight. It's not something that we can like go to the courts courts for like to easily make changes, but it's like, at, it's a federal issue. It's at a federal level where members of Congress make the decisions for us. And we don't have representatives in those places to be able to say like, hey, like, you guys are fucking up all these indigenous people. Maybe we should make a change. You know, we don't have people in those places with that mindset um, to be able to make changes, even with basic health care for indigenous people through Indian health services. So we have to remember that, too. It's just not like, oh, why don't they just do this? No, it's like bigger than that. It's not that easy. And to, to wrap us up and to wrap this episode up, what do you want people who are listening um, to hear from you as an indigenous woman? What do you want them to take away? There's a few things that I would like the listeners to take away, and that's, I feel like people think indigenous people get all the benefits from the government or from the tribe because there's this idea like, oh, they get all the money because, you know, the United States store the land, blah, 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 right? And that's not the case. Like, we get, I guess I should say we get certain benefits, but those benefits are not quality, like, benefits. Yeah, it's something where we say like, oh, yeah, we provide this to them so they can't say anything about it, even though it's not, there's the quality of it's just shitty like it's just like oh we put this here just so we can say that we were providing it um, but to understand that Indian Health Services does not provide quality health care and does not provide any type of family planning or abortion access or contraception to indigenous women and that's a huge issue and like I said coming from a big family like that's a huge freaking issue and indigenous communities like that's how we base our wealth is off of our children and if you're restricting you know even making the decision to say like you can't have children or you can have children just having that type of regulation of indigenous bodies like that's an issue and not many people know that so i think that's one of the things but also it's not an indigenous value for men to make that decision or to place to place that decision on themselves like white men making decisions um, just because of what they believe in and i think that's a huge thing and we've seen it through different ways the united states you know they make decisions on behalf of people of color and indigenous peoples thinking it's like the right thing to do when in reality it is not and the decisions they make is totally the opposite of what we believe in and at the end of the day, indigenous communities suffer. We are incredibly grateful to have Candace Littlefoot on staff with us at Bold Futures. Her experience and insight are invaluable. This is the fourth episode of Heart of New Mexico and the limited series Bienvenidos All. 
If you missed any of the first three, you can catch up on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and share the love. We're online at boldfuturesnm.org backslash Heart of New Mexico, or you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.